You're listening to The Scrimmage with Daniel Hargrove and Justin Domashevitz. Monday, good morning, and welcome to the scrimmage, even if it's evening time. I'm Daniel Hargrove. I'm Justin Domashevitz. We got a great show for you, packed with lots of great topics, a lot of things we want to get to. The thing I'm most excited about is the Myrtle Street rivalry co ed doubleheader that Daniel and I had the privilege of broadcasting on Friday night. Absolutely. It was also a big weekend in the NFL, so we'll be talking a ton of Seahawks and the rest of the playoffs. So let's get it going with the two-minute drill. Let's go, let's go, let's go, hello. Gotta hurry, gotta hurry, gotta hurry. Hey, two-minute situation. 44 seconds, hand the ball to the ref. Gun duel right, gun duel right. Three jet Buckeye, don't worry. The two-minute drill starts now. Justin, the Bills lost to the Texans in the wild card round opener. I've heard it was a really good game, but does anybody care? Well, our producer, Andrew, judged me pretty harshly <laughs> for not watching this game. Instead, I decided to watch... The North Carolina Tar Heels get embarrassed in an embarrassing way. Did I mention it was embarrassing? Uh, I think once, yeah. Yeah, at so, least. <laughs> but I will say, by the time I turned this game on, it was just in time to see Deshaun Watson do this awesome spin move away from two defenders and then dump the ball off to a running back who actually did most of the work, and they got in position for the win. So the end of the game was really cool. Did cool things happen during the game? No one knows, and no one cares. <laughs> <laughs> the third-seeded New Orleans Saints were eliminated by the six-seed Minnesota Vikings on Sunday in overtime. Daniel, you watched the game. Does Drew Brees still have it? Or should he be considered in the same light as Old Man Brady? Oh, as in over the hill. Oh, yeah. Past his prime. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, he's definitely past his prime. That's for sure. He's 40 years old. But he had a decent season. This game did not look very good, though. Uh, the most exciting plays in the game for them offensively was done by Taysom Hill, which was really fun. And I think the the biggest shot against Drew Brees in this one is Taysom Hill comes in, runs a quarterback sweep, picks up like 30 yards. Everybody's excited and juiced. Next play, Drew Brees fumbles back to the Vikings. That was a killer, man. I mean, the Saints probably should have still won this game. They did have a missed field goal in it, but... I think he's got maybe one year left in him, but does he want to go through it again where something crappy happens to them in the playoffs and they end up losing? Or does he just call it quits? He's got one Super Bowl ring. Justin, the Tennessee Titans upset the New England Patriots, bringing joy to all the land. All the land. Hooray! You predicted the upset. <laughs> Was it more the Patriots' futility, or should the AFC be worried about the Titans? Uh, as Archer would say... Little column A, little column B. <laughs> the Patriots' offense definitely looked futile, and old man Brady looked pretty old, and also <laughs> not very well supported. I would say the Titans are dangerous, and the AFC should be on guard because they've proven their defense is good enough to get by, and they can win with the number one passer in the league in some of the advanced metrics in Ryan Tannehill. Oh, what? 
I'm telling you. Threw for 72 yards. I'm telling you. (laughs) But they didn't win with him. They won with the dude who is just a little too big for it to be fair. Yeah. Derrick Henry is a massive human being who shouldn't be able to move as fast as he does. He was basically unstoppable, and they controlled the clock like pros against the Patriots. This is a Titans team that has an explosive offense that can beat you in multiple ways. The Ravens should be a feared. <laughs> Daniel, as a spectator, how many times is it acceptable to yell at an official doing a youth sporting event asking for a friend? Oh, I hope you're asking for a friend. A friend, yes. And definitely. you've gotten over this, right? It's definitely not me. Okay. Uh <laughs> Is bodily is there risk of bodily harm due to how bad the officiating is? Occasionally. That is definitely warranted. If you see a kid going up for a layup and somebody takes his legs out, and that is either a product of how rough the game has gotten before, or they don't call it in that moment, you should be screaming at the officials because that is their main job is to control the game and keep people safe. Other than that... What if they miss a traveling call? I mean... I mean, who am I kidding? Double dribble. These Officials are, are the they worst. They shouldn't be traveling. I, you know what? I feel bad <laughs> yeah, though. Yeah, they're not professional. My my normal a- my normal attitude is officials are the worst. <laughs> but we're running out of officials because nobody wants to get yelled at anymore, and so now it's there's a, literally an official shortage, and. You were down in Lewis County, though, so that wipes out everything. So you need to be screaming at the officials (laughs) hardcore. They're the worst. All right, that's going to do it for the two-minute drill. All right, Justin, what's what's the story behind this? Okay, so my my son had a fifth-grade basketball tournament in Centralia. What, like 12-year-olds? 10, 11. Okay, all right. So... This facility in Centralia, by the way, is the Northwest. I was homeschooled. I don't know my grades. <laughs> Daniel and I were homeschooled. You gotta- Sorry, I should have okay. known 11-year-old. Six is 12. In, yeah. uh, just do this. Typically, kindergartners are five. Yeah. Add the number to five. Exactly. That's what you get yep. most of the time. So, um, <laughs> this facility in Centralia, if you haven't been there, the Northwest Sports Hub, is amazing. Yeah. It's basically a giant warehouse kind of a building, and they fit eight basketball courts in it fairly comfortably wow. for this huge tournament with all different kinds of ages and Eight grade. courts? Yes, eight Dang. courts in one building. There's also like a little espresso stand and a bar where they serve alcohol and like a little restaurant with a lunch room. All in the had, same place? Yeah, in the same building. It's really cool. I've never Get been there until out of here, Lewis County. Yeah, right. It's not fair. Many, are we going to start another thing? Am I going to be the one that starts the, the feud with Lewis County this time? <laughs> I have kept it active over all these years. You have. Okay, in full, in full honesty, <laughs> when we drive into Lewis County, every time we drive into Lewis County, when I went in with Angel, I'm like, oh. <laughs> she's like, it's got to the point where she's like, I know, babe, I know, I know. And then we'll talk about something, and I'll be like, you know, Lewis County hates me. Yeah. <laughs> and she'll say, I know, I know, Lewis County hates you, even yep. after all these years. Lewis County hates me, too. That's but that's true. just the officiating is I mean, it's, miserable. it's relatively fair we were we've been pretty we've been pretty rough on lewis county yeah that's true so but mine started before i was rough on yeah. them and just <laughs> they I'm started gonna... it they started it lewis county nobody's ever heard of a disconcerting the shooter call in that's, basketball that's not true i actually you looked it up i didn't look it up i was so convinced that it was a bogus thing yeah but I saw it once in a college basketball what? game called. One time in a college basketball game. Was the Literally point guard the... calling out the next play? No, it before was... Before the guy even was shooting? No, it was something... It was more than that. It was like, 
Um, it was a, it involved motion in front of him and yelling in front of them that I think they determined was intentionally to distract the shooter. Yeah. That kind yeah. of makes sense. I, yeah. But a point it's guard basketball. standing outside <laughs> of the key, like behind the three-point line, bef- as the guy's just getting the ball from the official going, yeah. all right, guys, this is what we're running next, yeah. and then backing away. We went into overtime because that guy made the next free throw and, and we lost. Or and then we lost an OT. As listeners, as listeners, you don't have context for this story, Sorry, but this no is trouble. one of Daniel's and my favorite stories. <laughs> yes. And I've heard it about twenty times and yeah. I don't stop him when he starts telling it because I enjoy it so much. Daniel's high school team got screwed by a disconcerting the shooter foul. Which they, or violation, I guess not a foul, it's a, yeah, violation, it's a violation, but they decided that that wasn't a real thing, and several years later, I discovered it actually is a real thing, but you just never see it called, because it's stupid, and I think <laughs> yeah. what must have happened is, in your game, that official was like, oh man, I just learned a new thing, I'm gonna use this, nobody <laughs> knows what this is, I'm gonna call this tomorrow, I'm gonna look so smart. Yeah, we were yeah. all so confused, yes. and then, yeah, so we ended up going into overtime, and then... Our best player, or one of our best players, our seven-foot center, fouled out, and so then we lost in overtime. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's all because of that bogus disconcerting It is. We went to team. overtime. One point <laughs> mattered. I know. And then we missed the playoffs by one game. Yeah. I'm not bitter. All I'm because, so bitter. All because that referee yeah, needed no. to feel smart. It was brutal. Yeah. Also, so, I got a bizarre technical in Chehalis, so that's why it spans. It's not just Centralia, yeah. it's all of Lewiston. Well, and it's also, <laughs> it's based a lot on games that we have broadcasted and witnessed in oh, basketball playoffs. Ar- you know, Austin Flock ha- was bleeding from the forehead, yeah. running up and down the court four times, which <laughs> we have on video, by the way. That was also yeah. in Chehalis. Yeah. Okay, so we got some stuff to back it up. Right. right. We do. So... Sorry, I die. We have an ongoing feud with Lewis County. <laughs> Not any particular person or people group, just the entire county. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, just to kind of set the table for for. Oh the yeah, way... you were telling story. Sorry, I was. Yeah, but I need to set the table for this. I went by... glory days on us. <laughs> it's fine. It's totally fine. But the way I behave at youth basketball games has fluctuated a bit. And I would like to say that in most sports, like I watch baseball, I watch my kids play football. I'm really quiet. I don't hardly say much of anything. Seriously? Basketball makes me insane. (laughs) So I get antsy and whatever I'm watching, I can't sit. So my general move was to kind of stand in the corner by the baseline, um, which is really indirect earshot of at least one official most of the time. That's not good. And, you want to be blend in. You want to blend in. Exactly. I would just yell the whole game. And after a while, I did this for like a year or so, and I started thinking, man, I am a crappy person. <laughs> and I don't want to do this anymore. Um, so I started idea. sitting in the stands to try to prevent that from happening. But I had one particular instance when we were at a seaside tournament. And the referee in the game was about 80 years old, and he was terrible. He was the worst <laughs> official I've ever seen in my entire life. He couldn't move, he couldn't hear, he obviously couldn't see, and I was standing (laughs) on the baseline. I'm sorry, I feel really strongly about this. I'm the reason for the official shortage. Okay, so I'm standing on the baseline, kind of in the corner, and there's not really bleachers at this place. There's like a a row of of bench where most of the parents are sitting to watch. And I, I didn't have a seat, so I'm standing on the baseline, and I was on this guy so hard. And the reason I think maybe he couldn't hear very well is because he didn't acknowledge me for most of the game. And 
sorry. That's okay. So he, he didn't acknowledge me for most of the game. And then towards the end of the game, and he wasn't blowing any whistles, and the game was really physical, and we had one of our players coming down on a fast break right in front of me, goes up for a layup. The kid comes from behind him, takes his legs out from underneath him. He goes crashing to the ground. That's the worst. That no is foul the call. Oh, see, that is bodily harm. And I said <laughs> to this referee who, in fairness, would have had, he would have been fully within his rights to give me a warning already previously. Okay. The way I was on him. Yeah. And I said, hey, buddy, is that whistle around your neck just a decoration or are you going to blow it? <laughs> And I said it so loud that the parents from the rest of our team who were sitting all the way on the other side of the gym all started laughing. And this official who I'd been badgering all game turned around and looked at me. And the eye contact. I went, put my hands up. Okay, sorry, buddy. I'm going to shut up now. That's the story of how I almost got myself ejected from Seaside. But it's changed the way that I behave at basketball games. Yeah. And today, I have a, a 10-year-old and a 13-year-old, and my 10-year-old plays basketball with a group of kids that I absolutely love and a group of parents that's amazing and coaches that are amazing. It's just a really great group of people. And one of the people is our mutual friend, Dustin. Mm, um, and yeah. then there's a few other guys that, that um, you may or may not know that we all kind of you know chat and stuff during the games. And sometimes one of us gets a little boisterous. <laughs> Okay. But we try to keep each other in check. Unless I'm sitting next to Dustin, then I whisper in his ear and try to get him to shout things <laughs> and then just laugh. Um, but we had this one particular game today. And, and Dustin is so positive. He's too. so positive. But he get, he gets a little, you know, he gets a little, he generally doesn't do that. Yeah. Every once in a he while. He saved me from like five technical fouls in <laughs> yeah, ball last I know, year. right? And then yeah. so we all kind of keep each other in check in that way to try to keep things light. And today the game was pretty intense. We were playing, um, it was our last game of the day. We were playing against a team we were really evenly matched with. And there was one official that was very particularly bad. And it felt like every bad call he made was going against us. Of course, that's how it always feels. He kept calling travels over and over again. And there, it's to the point where there was an official that was in front of our group of stands. And there was a travel call. And he had already started running the other way because he thought it was a foul. And oh, then wow. he walked back by us and turns out, no, it was a travel. The other guy had called a travel and I yelled, tell him he's wrong. <laughs> and then when that official came back towards our side, because the other team turned the ball over, he said, these things have a way of working themselves out. And well, that's, that's a I'm, good official. I'm joking right around there. with the guy a little bit. And at one point he called a travel and I was like, Hey, you know, earlier they let us do that on the other court. And we were kind of joking around a little bit with him. But there was a point where um, we, everyone was getting a little worked up. There was nobody keeping each other in check, and a few of the parents were shouting it out. And all of a sudden, somebody, it might have been Dustin, I'm not sure, but it came from his area, said, <laughs> Hey, this is serious. This is for third place. <laughs> and everybody just started laughing, and we all were like, Okay, this is a third place game in a random fifth grade tournament. It's not any kind of a championship. It's just a random fifth grade tournament. Maybe we can all just settle down. And we did. And we lost. Oh, so fourth good. place. But yeah. needless to say, I think the amount of times that you can yell at the official during a youth sporting event is as many times as I need to. Okay. <laughs> 
Oh, man. Uh, so many memories. Because as you know, as you two know, one of the great official hecklers in the area is my dad. <laughs> yeah. You probably can't tell all these stories. Yeah. No. <laughs> I've heard all of them. Yeah. I'll, I'll pick one, though, because the one where you were talking about how you almost got kicked out at Seaside. Yes. My dad had a fun one from Astoria that I will not tell. Uh <laughs> It's but, such a good story, though. Yeah. If you ever catch Daniel off the air, that's <laughs> story. And you want to hear a half hour of me talking about bad officiating my dad. But no, you were talking about how you got kind of singled out because you were down on the baseline yeah. and he could hear you. Yeah. My dad uses a different strategy. He'll sit up in the stands, but he's got impeccable timing. So, like, a bad call will happen. Like and a big voice. Yes, that, that too. So, we were playing in the Summer League tournament in Onalaska. And that was the tournament where there was, like, physical fights starting to happen. Like, there was a fight in the previous game before my summer league. This is a JV summer league tournament. Mm -hmm. The varsity was playing in a different gym. That officiating was so bad, our varsity coach pulled the team out of the game at halftime. They didn't play in the second half. That's how bad the varsity officiating was. Us over in the JV, there was a literal fight that broke out in the game before us. And things were going the same direction in the next game. And this one kid, one of those beefy football players on a basketball court, just lowered his shoulder right into my buddy's head. And everybody just starts screaming, including the da- my buddy's dad, you know, screaming at him. And, the, and then right as everybody dies down, everybody, oh, that's terrible. Where's the call? What's going on? You're gonna get sued for assault! (laughs) I waited. (laughs) Tell everybody quieted down. And the official goes, Hey! You're out of here! (laughs) Throws him out of the gym. And as he's walking away, as he's walking away, he looks back, he's like, Well, I'm gonna come back with a trial lawyer. The other funny part of this is I am already sitting on the bench because I had received a technical foul <laughs> yeah. in that game. Yeah. So that, that was an interesting is, trip to Onalaska. It is a doozy. And with as far as dads go, like my dad is not that guy. But in Little League baseball games, where, like Little League baseball games, the fans, the umpires are all, vol- like all the coaches are just doing it in Monty. I think yeah. I, most of the towns probably do it that way. Like coaches just rotate through and umpire other teams' games. Yeah. When when I went through, it was, and I think there's still some of it, they'll have some like high school kids. Yeah. So it's like a summer, a spring job almost right. for them. So they'll get paid, but it's a bunch of high school kids. Well, and then at least in, in Monty Little League, it was part of the way to keep the cost down was, okay, well, if you want to sign up to be a manager, then you're going to be in charge of providing umpires either you or assistant coaches trained umpires to do Mm -hmm. these other games yeah and i've umpired many little league games and it's it's not too bad i I fired myself my strike zone was so bad yeah (laughs) it's not easy no i was fine in the field even hates officials when he is yeah true i quit in a little league baseball only job i've ever quit I'm just joking. (laughs) You've quit many jobs. No, I mean I have. Well, I've stopped. You want to run through all the jobs you've quit? I'm just trying to say that I. Justin Little League. Sometimes the jobs ended. Okay, I'll put it that way. Okay. I I realized that didn't sound very good. 
Because that makes it sound like I got fired all the time. <laughs> or maybe you just haven't had very many jobs. Oh, okay. I'll, I digress. What were you, I was just saying league, that... Little League officials. I was officials. just saying that my, my dad, who I consider to be a generally tame fan, yeah. is like the one person in the stands who will heckle a Little League umpire <laughs> and be upset about the strike zone. Right? Like, not in an unreasonable way, yeah. but, you know, when, like, nobody else is doing it, it feels a little excessive. <laughs> and I have had to have these conversations with my sister because she's very guarded against having her kids play sports because she thinks that it's way too serious. And I was mm-hmm. like, well, no, in Little League, it's really not. You know, it's yeah. very casual atmosphere, and it's really, it really is just everybody playing and everybody having a good time. <laughs> and the only person in the stands you have to worry about is Dad. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I, <laughs> we could talk about this. There's so many different stories. From, I literally could talk about this all day. I could, I could too. Especially for the rest of the night. Um, but, you know, I think we should save some. Kay. It's not so much that I'm trying to shorten the show at all, but I think there's some some more opportunities that we're going to have to just tell stories. Mm-hmm. Basically, when football season's over. So <laughs> we, can, we should make sure we file this one away to come back to this. Uh, back to the NFL, though, coming out of our two-minute drill questions. Uh, the big news is... The Patriots lose in the wild card round, mm-hmm. which they shouldn't have been in in the first place. Like when I first wa- saw that they lost to Miami, I assumed that that game didn't matter. Yeah, and uh, and Jimmy was like, "Did you see the Patriots lost to Miami?" I was like, "Yeah, but it doesn't matter." And he's like, "Uh, it knocked out their first round bye." Yeah. Oh, well, that's interesting. Yeah. And then they right also after, lost in a brutal way. Yeah, and then after that, then you come up and you're like, you know, this Tennessee team's kind of on fire. Mm-hmm. And I started watching some of their highlights and I was like, oh no, this is a this is the type of team that could be built to do this mm-hmm. and you said it and sure enough, Derrick Henry ran all over them. Yeah, I feel good about being right. <laughs> and I know I said this in my 2-minute drill answer too, but it was like he couldn't be stopped. The only time that they were stopping him was at the end of the game when it became really, really, really obvious. that, And I think he had 34 carries. The only wow. time that they could stop him was at the very end of the game when they just loaded the box because they knew there was no way Tennessee was going to pass the ball. And Tennessee did go ultra-conservative at the end, I think mostly because Mike Vrabel realized that the New England Patriots offense couldn't really do anything. Yeah, because, seriously. And Brady did not look good no he looked old he threw a pick six to end the game and he threw another pass <laughs> that would have devastated their chances that should have been a pick six but the the defensive player just dropped it <laughs> like right in his bread basket that was a bad it. that was such a bad drop but brady uh it was satisfying to see brady have opportunities to win at the end and fail. Yeah. So that was the thing I loved was about it was fun. not only it wasn't just like a blowout and he was terrible. It was like these are the Brady moments. And he had like three or four chances in the fourth quarter when the game was close or when they were down by one point or when they were down by, you know, seven points at the end. By that time there was like eight seconds left. But when they were within striking distance at the end of the game and he just failed. And it was Wonderful. It was wonderful and bizarre. <laughs> I gotta say that. Yeah, like, because I was feeling tense at yeah. the end. I was like, okay, I know there's 15 seconds left and 99 yards to go, <laughs> but I feel like Brady's gonna hey, do something. Can we can we talk about that for a little bit? Yeah. Uh, 
so I'm watching the I start watching the game midway through the third quarter, mm-hmm. but I see them lining up for the punt return, and then all of a sudden I see Julian Edelman yeah. kind of run over to the sideline, and I was like, it was oh, a they, weird sequ- are they going to take him out? Like, are they going to go full punt block? And they didn't do that, and he kind of runs back on the field, mm-hmm. but he was standing back at like the 10, and then he ran over the sideline, and then he comes back in, and he was so short that a little tiny pooch punt, because that punt that was kicked was not long at all. It rolled probably yeah. about 20 yards down to the one-yard line. Yeah. What what were the Patriots doing there? It was additional. I, th- I mean, the only thing I can think of is they were just terrified to make a mistake. But it was a curious decision, especially because Kern was having an incredible game. Yeah. He had six punts, four of them pinned him inside the 20. I think he had two or three punts that pinned him inside the 10, and his long was 58. Like, his... His punting game, it was like some of those, what was that old Chargers punter that for one year was just ciphers? Yeah. He was just like pinning people inside the five left and right. I mean, Brett Kern was money for the Titans as a punter. But like either there was some kind of massive confusion or there was like a last minute, oh my God, what if we fumble it? Or something like that. Like it was just a really weird thing to have nobody back there. Yeah. Especially when it's Julian Edelman. Like. That should be your most trusted person. Well, back there. he did drop a pass in the game. Ooh, he went. He's a dropping dropper who drops, <laughs> <laughs> taking over for Wes Welker. Yes, I saw you guys having that discussion earlier. I missed the dropping drop, but the uh, so we're excited that the Titans are moving on, because that gives us a little bit more to talk about. Because you're a huge Titans fan. Huge. Uh, you're okay. They but you wear his attention. favorite color. That's true. Can I be a big Titans fan? Actually, Courtney asked me that question. What? Because I said that you were a Titans fan, yeah. and she was like, wait, those are." it was when we bought you your Christmas present. Yeah. She's like, did he just pick them <laughs> because of their color? Because they're the same color as It's a reasonable question. It is a reasonable question. <laughs> or is that why you picked North Carolina? But the, <laughs> the real reason is because I'm just a bad fan. So I grew up a Dolphins fan. And then Dan Marino retired, and I was like, what am I even rooting for? (laughs) And then I was like, I'm going to look at the landscape and see what's a new team I can root for. And it was Steve McNair, and it was Eddie George, and it was Frank Wycheck, and they were awesome. They were fun. And they were baby blue. And maybe my favorite player, uh, Curse. Yeah, Uh, Javon Curse. Javon Curse. Yeah, he was was a little bit after that. He came on after I was already a fan. Gotcha. But he was awesome for a couple years. But it was just the Music City Miracle. Like, that season I had picked them in my bracket to go to the Super Bowl, and they proved me right, and I got to say, ha-ha, Dad, I win, which was fun. <laughs> and that was why I picked them. But, that, right. but a big fan, not huge fan. Okay. The other, the other interesting game is the one that affects the Seahawks because it changed who they play, and that is the Vikings beat the New Orleans Saints. First of all... Who would you rather play in this next round? Because I was so far from thinking that the Vikings could win that game mm-hmm. that I wasn't thinking about the Packers at all. So who would who should we rather they had played, Green Bay or San Francisco? Which one would you have picked? Well, I guess the, the hard part about it is just the unknown because we've already played San Francisco twice. Yeah. So we know what to expect with varying levels of injuries on both sides. I think we know with 
some level of certainty that it would be a heck of a game. Yeah. And these teams are really well matched. And it but wouldn't... I also think that we know that the Seahawks can beat them. Yeah. I think in general you'd rather face I think you'd rather face the Packers because they're I they seem to have a reputation this year although maybe I've only watched them once or twice that they're a team who has overperformed. So and, are the Seahawks. Yeah, exactly, but yeah. We're, but between 49ers and Packers, the scariest thing about either of those teams is the 49ers front seven probably. That's true. So, I feel like we should rather want to play the Packers but also don't really want to go to Lambeau Field. That's that's the main thing that I was wondering about. Lambeau in January. That's the I, biggest I was, factor for me. Yeah, I'd rather play Levi Stadium in January. Mm-hmm. I mean, that field can get torn up too but because it's natural grass. But I don't know. that Playing in the snow with no running game, and I hope that I hope that the Seahawks running, rows, running woes were all just Fletcher Cox, but... It was so frustrating to watch in this last game. Yeah, and I didn't watch it, so... uh, Oh, yeah, because you were were busy. It was was brutal. Daniel's got the numbers on that. Yeah, so let's hop into that Seahawks 17-9 win. As usual, they didn't want to put it away. The Seahawks hate to put away games, even when they're better than the other team, and they have Josh McNown playing quarterback. McCown, not McNown. I don't even know how to say his name. It doesn't matter if you're a McCown Did or a Did you know McCown, he's 40 years guy. old? Yeah, he was. Yeah, they <laughs> talked about how he was 40 about a million times during the game. Anyway, so jumping into that running game, the Seahawks ran for 64 yards in this game. That is not good. Then you look at <laughs> how they analysis. got those 64 yards. Russell Wilson had nine carries for 45 yards. So that means that... Travis Homer and Marshawn Lynch combined on 17 carries for 19 yards. That is also not good. Yeah. Then you take out the 12-yard carry that Homer had. That means that the rest of them were 16 carries for 7 yards. Mm -hmm. That is also not good. Not good. There you go. Mm -hmm. I'm getting good at this. Lynch's touchdown run, which was awesome, by the way. Yeah. It was vintage beast mode. It was great. It was a 5-yard run. So that means on their other 15 combined carries between Travis Homer and Marshawn Lynch, they gained a total of two yards. Which is not good. There you go. (laughs) 15 carries for two yards. Are you absolutely kidding me? It's interesting because I I wasn't watching the game because I was at a basketball tournament watching my son play. But I did pull the – I had followed on the GameCast on ESPN app quite a bit. And there was a point – Late in the second quarter, the first time I pulled it up, and I looked at the box score, and I texted you guys, Russell's stats are way too good for us to only have three points. Yeah. At that point, I think he was like 12 for 18 with 150 yards or something like that. And a blocked field goal. Yeah. So, then the other thing I texted you guys was, why can't we run the ball (laughs) under two yards per carry? Yeah. So, I would say I basically analyzed the game. You, right then. Right then, yes. And that was when... <laughs> Russell under- is good, everyone else is bad. Yeah, that it was absolutely brutal. And, I mean, poor Joey Hunt. Is he the smallest center in the league? I mean, I know he's our backup center, and we forget about that because Justin Britt has been out for so long. But Joey Hunt is not a big guy. And Fletcher Cox is a massive human massive they kept showing him on the screen and we were just looking watching on the couch like holy cow that guy 
he's huge. And it's fun to watch every now and then with people who don't usually watch games because some of the reactions you get. <laughs> uh, Mrs. Gross, Andrew's mom, was like, that guy's huge. <laughs> I was like, yeah. He is a large man. <laughs> and when somebody looks that big around so many other big guys that it surprises people, just kind of like when you're looking at Derrick Henry. Right. You're like, wow, that guy's massive. Yeah, I but... saw a picture of him standing next to like a defensive back. And they the it's kind of reminded me of like the picture from earlier this year with DK Metcalf standing next to Tyler Lockett. Yes. The fact We're... that those two guys do the same thing for a living is pretty staggering. It's bizarre. One, one looks like he's 12. Yeah. <laughs> so that was that was rough to see, and definitely something that if you're playing in the snow, you would hope that they would be able to figure out a bit. Mm-hmm. I don't know if maybe, like, if you get in that situation, do you just go to Marshawn Lynch and say, hey, he's got a better chance of breaking a tackle? Because, I mean, Travis Homer showed his speed on that 12-yard carry, but other than that, it was... It was he couldn't brutal. get to the edge at all. Yeah, he, he couldn't get to the edge. They tried him. It was. It seemed like after a bile, they tried him on the outside and Marshawn up the middle, and there's just nothing. So, I mean, Andrew, <laughs> Justin didn't I watch was, the game. I have another thought, but I was trying to give Andrew a okay. chance to jump in if he wanted to. Do you have anything? Not really. Okay. Other, I, the only thing I had to say was about your, your thing about Moore. Oh, I just yeah. want to make sure no one's mistaking Moore making a few catches as him being a receiver. I know that was he catches he catches balls that are thrown where no one could possibly drop them, <laughs> except for and that then defender. he looks really good running, like legitimately. I love I love him running in open field. I think he should keep uh, returning punts and kicks and uh, maybe line up at tailback when we need a fourth string tailback in. I I wanted the only other thing I, I don't have anything about David Moore, but looking at the box score of this game, the other thing that really stands out is the performance of DK Metcalf. Oh, so well, I can look at it for good reason. I can look at it and say, wow, he caught seven passes for 160 yards and a touchdown. So as people who watched from beginning to end, do you feel like DK Metcalf like was he already there? Was this the game where he announced his presence? Like, is he is this DK Metcalf saying, "Hey, I'm everything you dreamed I could be when you drafted me"? Yeah, I think so because there was, I, I heard some of the, I heard some of the post game guys on the radio talking about it, where some of the plays that he had, or maybe it was on the TV copy. I'm trying not to give Chris Collinsworth anything good that he said, but I think he might have actually <laughs> said this. One of those balls he dropped earlier in the year. And in this one, it seemed like every slight thing that he did wrong during the year came to life in this game, and he did them all perfectly. Like, he would... The last catch. He didn't kind of wait for it and try and catch it in his body and hope that the DB doesn't get a finger on it. He stopped, and he jumped up, and he caught it at the highest point he possibly could. It was beautiful. On the touchdown catch... Full extension as much as you can be without diving. So much so that he falls down after another step. And the athleticism to get back up before he's touched down on the ground and then dive into the end zone through a guy. Like, DK... And then there was another one on the sideline where Russell's scrambling out and so DK takes off down the sideline but the corner's, like, on him. Like, completely on him and Russell just throws it to him. And he, like, reaches around back shoulder through contact and pulls it in. Like, it was 
over and over and over again, it seemed like if they threw to him, he not only was making a catch, but was making a difficult catch. Like it was, it was impressive. And when you're six four and jacked like he is, like I, if I was Green Bay, I would worry about thinking I had to double Tyler Lockett because I'm thinking that I'm going to have to double DK Metcalf. Mm-hmm. But we've seen what Tyler does when he's single covered. He goes yeah. off for eleven catches in a well, hundred yards. When we saw the catch he made today, which oh. was overshadowed by Metcalf's oh. stats, but t- that was dirty. Tyler Lockett made a catch that no one, no one in that stadium thought it was a catch. No. I watched the Real replay time. twice before somebody pointed out that he got two feet in because I yeah. thought his only shot was getting a knee down. And so I watched. You can you... talk to animals. Oh, yes. oh that's yep. me. That's me. Hold on. I got to mute my computer. I got this you. Is, I got this you. Is the, uh, this is me being the, the perpetual uh, uh, old man of the group when it comes to technology. Oh, that's good. Because my strategy is generally, Andrew, you know this isn't working the way I want it to. No. Can you please fix it? I fix I, it for you. Tell me before you want to play some uh, audio. You okay. know, I I don't blame you on that one because we have to play audio out of your computer and then you are looking something up and yeah. on the box scores, they oh, always ESPN. they always play something automatically on the page. So yeah, I'll give yeah. you I'll give you the the grace on that one. But yeah, it's I really felt like DK just busted out on this one because there were times where Tyler was being doubled mm-hmm. and it seemed like the focus was more on him and DK was like, all right. And Russell was like, all right. And they just, he just threw it to him over and over and over again in the biggest situations. And that's awesome because it's not like Russell has enough time to make sure somebody's open. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's you, a good point. Do you guys sometimes feel lately like in a key moment, Russell tends to be more likely to throw to DK Metcalf than Tyler Lockett. Not that I'm driving at the fact that I wonder who the number one receiver is going to be going into next season, but I'm curious the way that Metcalf seems to have come on. And despite the fact that, like you mentioned, he's had some drops and other miscues throughout the season, Russell really seems to trust him in a way that maybe he only trusted Doug Baldwin before. I think that he trusts Tyler Lockett in the same way. Okay. I really do. L- especially Lockett's with been struggling the last, what, six weeks? He had uh, one ever big since week. that injury. Ever since that injury. He had yeah. a big week against Carolina. Nine or eight catches for 120 yards and a yeah. touchdown. But besides that, since the injury, he hasn't gotten over 51 yards until 62 yards uh, in this game. Yeah. So I, I really feel like when Tyler's healthy, Russell trusts him the same that he trusted Doug Baldwin because we are starting to see that same type of production. And then going into next year, I don't think you have to have one of them be the number one receiver. They're so different. I mean, yeah, they, are yeah, they are so different. And yeah, how, as different as you can be. How, how awesome is it to have that, where one guy probably could be one of the best slot receivers in the league, but also, hey, he's really good on the outside, even though he's short. And then on the other side, you got your stereotypical Calvin Johnson-looking dude who can just start... I mean, he was mossing people. He was just going over it. And it was just... When you have both of those on the same team, you don't really need to designate at what... Like, Good yeah. luck. You have to double team one of them. Right. Can you imagine if Calvin Johnson had had an MVP level quarterback his entire career? Oh goodness. And I would like to point out that you just compared DK Metcalf to Calvin Johnson and Randy Moss in the same sentence. Uh, okay, so the Randy Moss one is, is <laughs> I'm tough. with it. So he is he is a lot like Calvin Johnson to me. 
I know I, I'm not saying that he's going to be Calvin Johnson, but you look at the trajectory of their careers, Calvin Johnson also played for a college that didn't know how to use him, and they just said, hey, run straight down the field. Mm-hmm. It was pretty similar. Like, he did not have amazing college numbers, and yet he turned into what he is. And so I think that there could be a comparison there. I don't know. We'll see how, how it turns he out. Was, but Fingers crossed, Calvin, knock on wood, he's better than Calvin Johnson because his knees don't fall apart. I mean, that would be cool. Calvin Johnson was really <laughs> highly regarded coming out of college, though. He was like the number, I think he was the fourth overall pick or something, and a lot of the draft people thought that he should have gone number one or number two. Yeah. And then you had DK Metcalf, who after the combine, everybody loses their mind and thinks that he's going to be like a top 10 pick. And then for some reason, still unknown to us, he drops to the last pick of the second round. And the Seahawks are like, it seems weird. Wait a second. He, yeah. <laughs> I know we, we didn't want a receiver, but but DK Metcalf's yeah. still there. It like, seems it was weird bizarre. that he fell so far, but it was, a, it was like a... <laughs> Now Andrew's trying to break stuff. It was like a shuttle run, like he. Yeah, the, it was that stupid quickness test. Yeah, it was the quickness test. But that it's like made him drop. What? It doesn't make sense to me. Like, you can you can look at it like that, but that test is not. Yeah. Showing how you run a route, and everybody grabbed that number and was like, "Oh, so you can't get in and out of breaks," and it's like. You do realize that there is zero route where you go this way and stop and then go this way and stop and then go right back this way, right? Like, there's no route that Have does that. Have you ever that. watched Doug Baldwin while <laughs> Russell was scrambling? Because he did, he did that. Yeah, but you know what DK doesn't have to do is go back and forth. You just go long. You're taller yeah. than everybody. That's like, true. I guess... Box out. Yeah, Park. exactly. You're six... You're mm-hmm. massive. Just go... Doug Baldwin couldn't spread out and box a dude out because he was tiny. Well, I guess part of the reason why this is so interesting to me is because since we've talked so much about things I was right about today, (laughs) uh, I was at the beginning of the season just telling everybody, okay, be ready, be prepared to be disappointed by DK Metcalf. And I am so happy to be wrong about this. See, that's what I do as a fan. I set myself up for win-win situations. (laughs) So you, you said that, he had a big game, seven catches, 160 yards. Yeah. Did you also know that that is a new rookie playoff record? I did not know that. For 160 yards is a rookie playoff receiving record. Wow, that's amazing. You want to know whose record he broke? Randy Moss. No. Calvin Johnson. No. <laughs> Zach Miller, and we're Whoa. not sure which one. <laughs> it's got to be... It has to be Raider Zach Miller, right? I don't know. There's Wasn't there one for the Bears? There was... One, there was another Zach Miller, and they yeah. played at the same and they time. Bo- and they both played tight end. But I think that... And the articles ra- I found didn't designate which one was which. <laughs> I think that Raiders Zach no Miller was really good immediately, though. <laughs> Wasn't the other Zach Miller tight end just kind of meh? Yeah, but I thought I remembered him having some weird big games or something like that. Yeah. I can't Anyway, if, if you know which Zach Miller it was... Please tell us. We are incapable of finding information on our own. Yeah. I, my excuse is that I'm the old man of the group who doesn't know how, to, know how to technology. All right. So the other part of this game is the defense. Now, thank goodness for the Seahawks. Carson Wentz gets hurt. But poor Carson Wentz. First of all, he finally gets to play in a playoff game after getting hurt those other times and watching Nick Foles take his team to the Super Bowl and win it. Mm-hmm. He gets to play nine minutes, and he's knocked out with a concussion. He wasn't knocked out, but he knocked out of the game with a concussion. Uh, just brutal. 
it is kind of brutal, and I feel for the guy a little bit because he seems to be everyone's favorite punching bag. Yeah, oftentimes. And well, he's the quarterback in Philadelphia. Yeah, they hate their quarterbacks. That's true, except they, for Nick Foles, who is a backup. I think people who live in <laughs> Philadelphia hate everyone all the time. They booed Santa Claus. Yeah. <laughs> the, the thing I've always had that like I know that Philadelphia <laughs> fans have a terrible reputation. Yes, they're Horrible. the thing that really made me be like, okay, Philadelphia fans, I don't want anything good to happen for you, was when uh, Michael Irvin was laying motionless on the field when he injured his spine and he had that neck injury that basically ended his career and they were mocking him obnoxiously from the stands. I'm like, okay, like you have to understand where we cross the line where this is not about football anymore. Yeah. So Philadelphia fans, you're the worst. Yes. There's another group of fans I know that do similar things, but I'm not going to get into that right now. Anyway, so we, but going back to that defense, so it's it's Josh McCown playing quarterback. Mm-hmm. He's 40 years old, as was mentioned a lot during the TV broadcast. <laughs> uh, they the Seahawks do respond by getting seven sacks. So what I'm going to say is it was nice to see the Seahawks make a backup quarterback look like a backup quarterback. Because for so many, how many times have we seen it when a backup comes in and we're like, oh, we're playing a backup quarterback this week and they throw for like 420 yards and it's a nail biter. So it was nice to see him get seven sacks. That's a season high for the Seahawks. Quentin Jefferson has two. And uh, the other guy who I thought played a great game, and I think a lot of it is because of our favorite defensive back being back, uh, Bradley McDougald with 11 tackles, and it just seems like he plays completely differently when Quandre Diggs is there. Yeah, he Diggs, is. Diggs does seem to help everybody on the front and the back end. Yeah, he makes the tackles that he's making, how aggressive he's coming down on running plays and everything, just seems to be altered exponentially when Quandre Diggs is in the game. And that's what I thought we saw a lot of in this one, and Jadavian Clowney also played really well. Um I don't know, Andrew. You watched the game too. What what else popped out to you about about the defense? Which I just, looked shaky at times, but the red zone they they yeah. s- the the big thing about the defense to me, and I've been saying this all year, so this isn't super brand new, but th- they're not the best part of the team. They're not. I don't expect them to be win us games. All I need them to do is keep it close enough so that. Russell Wilson can Russell Wilson and we can win. <laughs> and without Diggs in, they couldn't do it. They were they were always always off balance, indecisive, not quite sure if they should be putting their nose in or should be breaking down and with Diggs in, everything looks smooth. Like yes, they're still giving up completions for yards in the middle yeah. of the field, which is frustrating and is also a hallmark of Pete Carroll's defenses because they're playing to eliminate the big plays and they'll give up 10-yard pass completions all day. (coughs) Bless you, Justin. They'll give up 10-yard pass completions all day if it means they can get down into the red zone and hold you to a field goal. And Pete Carroll will be perfectly happy, smiling on the sideline and chewing his gum as all of our (laughs) blood pressure is just shooting right through the roof as we see... Josh McCown, who you're right, we were sacking him. You think but also, Pete Carroll looks happy he when he's chewing right his gum? Down, he went right down the field at the end of the game there. And it's like, 
<laughs> my dad's fun to watch games with yeah. also. But it's like, what are they doing? <laughs> well, they're just doing their thing. They're, they're gonna let you. They're gonna let you get those easy completions. They're gonna tackle you. They're gonna. But but this week it's actually happening that way instead of acting like you're gonna do that and then letting guys run for thirty yards. Samuels. Yeah, absolutely, and that's it's it's what the Seahawks do. I mean, it's yeah. just how they play. Uh, let's see some notes from Pete Carroll after the game uh, when asked about some of the delay of game issues that they, of course, have and blow. That has now cost them a game. Yes. He said (laughs) in this one, he actually gave an excuse for it. I know. Did you hear that? He said the headsets were shaky. Yeah. Okay, Pete, what about the rest of the season? (laughs) Anyway, the other news, uh, Ziggy Ansah, the only person who came out with an injury for the Seahawks that did not go back in. There were some other kind of roughed up guys who came back in after they were hurt. But Ziggy Ansah leaves with a stinger. Just another injury for a guy who's really had a tough season coming back. And he, he was playing okay before he went out with this injury. So uh, hopefully that he can come back some sometime this season. Um, and uh, Pete Carroll mentioned it as well. I thought this was cool. Pete Carroll said other guys play better around him. And him meaning uh, Quandre Diggs. you think Pete listened to our show? Yeah, I think so. Okay. I think he knew that. Maybe we can get him on. <laughs> Pete, call us. Exactly. <laughs> Hit us up. That's totally how it works, right? That's how he does interviews <laughs> with other radio shows. So. They just say hit him up until he notices. So. The Seahawks are also now 11-2 and two in one-score games this year. I mean, it's past the point of coincidence, right? Yeah, it's insanity. Yeah. They want us to get ulcers. <laughs> <laughs> hey, they're just saving up the points for when they need them. <laughs> Seattle, this feels weird talking about this since Justin wa- didn't watch the game. Have you even seen the highlights? No. Dude, come. <laughs> what were you doing for the last hour? Do we need to pause the ga- pause the show right now so you can watch the rest of the highlights? Well, it for a long so time, weird. I sat here in front of my computer and went, why isn't the internet working? And I kept trying to refresh yeah, things that, over and over again. That was terrible. Yeah. I, I mean, I can't take the blame for the internet not working. Yes, you can. Couldn't you have watched it on your phone? My phone was in the. He doesn't holster. have unlimited data, Daniel. We went over this earlier That's today. That's true. I honestly think my. I didn't want to try to watch the football game <laughs> at the same time as I was trying to watch the basketball game. Not because I didn't think I could do it, but because I didn't want other people to judge me. Also, you. see, the, this is a part of the reason why I'm a terrible fan because I just didn't care that much. Yeah. You know, I, there I'm not. I'm not upset. I'm not yeah. worried about you being a terrible fan. Yeah, but I don't know if you know this. You do what? this the show yeah. now, mm-hmm. which a lot of it. <laughs> and in fairness to, to be... me, I texted you guys and said I haven't watched the game, so you're gonna have to carry the Seahawks segment. And I pitched in more than I intended to. Okay, well I'm glad that you're happy with yourself. <laughs> I never asked for any of this. <laughs> All right, so they play the Seahawks play at the Packers at Lambeau Field on Sunday at 3.40 in the afternoon Pacific time. And Andrew says that the Packers are currently three and a half point I looked favorites. it up. I looked it up. They that opened seems, at three and a half points. That seems reasonable. That seems about right. You get usually get three points just for being the home team. Yeah. When the Eagles opened as a one point favorite last week, I thought that was stupid. That was this- dumb. Well, it teams. shifted uh, by the by the game time. 
I think Seahawks were one point, and they okay. may have been one and a half point favorites. Good. Take that, Vegas. <laughs> All right, let's shift gears a little bit, uh, get into some local sports. And, Justin, we have our Athlete of the Week. I am very excited about <laughs> the Athlete of the Week this week. And this is an, kind of an interesting a new one for us. And I'll explain why I'm so excited about it. But first, let me tell you, if you're looking to buy a home in the Grace Harbor <laughs> Pacific County area, no one will take care of you better than the team of realtors at Ole Penn Real Estate. With Ole Penn, it's personal. I, I know one of those guys. Yeah, I know him too. He's pretty cool. He loves the Seahawks way more than I do. <laughs> that that wouldn't sure. be hard. Yeah, no, that's true. That's also true. Um, okay, so our athlete of the week this week is Hoke Williams, Cameron Bumstead. First off, it's the, the first impressive accomplishment that happened this week for Cameron is that he made the All-State first team uh, on offense for football. He was also an honorable mention on defense. And... I was kind of thinking about it at that point, like, hey, that's a really big accomplishment. You know, maybe we could we could do something to honor him. And then yeah. we broadcasted the game on Friday night, and I watched Cameron Bumstead play basketball for the first time. And through all the years that we broadcasted together, and there would occasionally be a player that I would just fall in love with their game. Yeah. It's happened to both of us. Yeah, and it's not all. It's often not the best player on the team. It's people. Sometimes it is, but other times it's like it's people who I really like the way they play yeah. or specific things that they're good at that are a little off the radar. I remember two on the same team, one for you and one for me, mm-hmm. and it was on an Aberdeen boys basketball team. You loved watching Adam Follett play. Uh, Follett was awesome. Follett that was, dude got buckets. He, man. he did, and on that same team. I loved watching Austin Flock play. Yeah. He locked people down. Yes. And somehow didn't foul people. It was bizarre. Yeah. The other one that always stands out in my mind is a, this is many, this is several years ago at this point, but an old Aberdeen girls team with Emily Fisher. And she was like, yeah, she was good. I felt like she was the person who did, I mean, she did put stats up and she could shoot threes, but I felt like she was always the X factor in the game. And she was always the person who did things that helped him win. Um, and, uh, it may, it's just Aberdeen kids. I'm having a hard time really thinking about other ones at the moment. I know I mean, there were ones from we other have, schools. We have some more obvious ones, too. Like, yeah. we both really watched Jordan Spradling play. Yeah. Just just the fact that she would get the snot beat out of her yes. every game, getting hacked all over the place, and right. they'd never – they'd call it, but they'd only call about a quarter of them. Right. Megan Choate was another one. She was really good. From Montesano yeah. that we just really were like, not only – is that girl awesome, and we love the way she plays, but she had such a fun personality. Yeah. Like, just really quirky, goofy, fun, a fun fun kid to play. But uh, Cameron Bumstead in this game, it really, the I was, like, watching him play, and I'm like, okay, this kid plays hard. Okay, this kid's really fast. Oh, my goodness, he's doing everything. He's all over the place. And then he threw a pass <laughs> in a transition fast-break opportunity. That was like a three-quarters court pass. Sorry, yeah. I spat all over you just then. <laughs> it was like a three-quarters court pass, and I was like, well, that was a dumb pass. But it was on the money. Yeah, right to like, Dane McMillan. And and it was beautiful pass. That's The level of difficulty on this pass was ridiculous. And I thought, wow, that was amazing. And then a little bit later in the game, he's crossing half court, and he sees another kid running towards the basket. And I don't remember who it was. But he throws another, like, not a zip pass, not a floater, 
right on the money for a layup. And yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh, this kid, his floor vision is incredible. His passing ability is incredible. And you add all the other capabilities, his shooting is amazing. Yeah. He's good going to the basket. Which, at the point where you were like really falling in love with his game, yeah. he had only had four points. I know. And that's why it was like, to me, in, in the moment that I started to be like, this kid's amazing was he was struggling shooting. Yeah. He wasn't hitting jumpers, but he was doing everything else. And the thing I respected the most about it is even when he was struggling with his shot, he never changed the way he played. That's true. And because he never changed the way he played, he helped power Hoquiam to their comeback in the fourth quarter. So I'll just say uh, the stats that we had for him were 17 points, and 13 of them were fourth quarter and overtime periods yeah. and helped drive uh, the massive comeback. I think he also had a bunch of rebounds as well. Was he, had, he double digits in rebounds? Uh, not double digits, Nine, but he, he was tied nine. for the team lead with seven. Right. So Cameron Bumstead is our Ole Penn Real Estate Athlete of the Week, and as we get into talking about the Myrtle Street rivalry, we'll definitely be talking about him more. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, that's what we're going to do right now, actually. Unless you want to, do you want to start with the girls game? Let's start with the girls game. Okay. So in the girls game, Pull out my trusty dusty stats I have here. Uh, the Aberdeen girls won for the second time this year. So actually Aberdeen comes away with a sweep this year in the Myrtle Street games as they take all four of them, girls and boys. Um, and they get the win 56 to 33. Now this game started off fairly normal, 14 to 9. And Aberdeen had the lead, but Hoquiam was kind of keeping themselves in it. By breaking the press, doing a good job of that. Aberdeen's press was not that successful, but then it seemed like in the second third, in the second quarter, in the third quarter, things really changed and Aberdeen started to dominate. Right. And they were carried pretty much the whole night by another person who I'm really enjoying watching play is Aaliyah Tagent, who had eight points in the first quarter alone, eight of their 14 points. Absolutely, and and. You know, this was the first time, and in fairness here, it's kind of sad that it's the first time that I've watched her play any varsity basketball because Aaliyah is my wife's cousin. Yeah. And I've watched her play, like, some JV and C squad and some younger stuff, but this is the first varsity game that I've watched of hers. Yeah. And I've known she was really good, but the thing about her that stood out the most to me was how fast she gets rid of the ball in the mm-hmm. paint. Like, when there's an entry pass... I don't even know how she manages the balance fast enough. That shot, is, it's the ball's in her hand, and the shot is up immediately. Yeah. And she really dominated this game uh, in, the, in the paint, both offensively and on the glass. And I felt like watching it that, you know, the, the post players for Aberdeen were extremely well coached. And I'm going to assume that that starts from, you know, junior high and whatever. But when it wasn't Aaliyah that was, make, that was doing the damage... Abigail Martinez did a really good job. Not only, of, well. you know, she hit a few buckets, but she also rebounded really well. She had 11 rebounds. And some of the stuff she was doing actually looked similar to what Aaliyah was doing, but on a smaller scale. Yeah. And then even Charlize Gutierrez came in, and when one of the other girls was out, then she popped in there and got some big rebounds and made some plays in the paint. Yeah. I felt like the big, the post play, the bigs play of Aberdeen was absolutely the difference in the game. Yeah, definitely. And uh, Tagent ends up... She was our player of the game in that one. She had 21 points and 16 rebounds because she's also a beast on the glass. And she is just, the first time I watched her play, or maybe it was 
the first couple times I watched her play, it's the aggressiveness. Like when the ball's in the air, it doesn't matter what situation, it's her ball. Like that's how she goes after it. I love watching her play with how aggressive she is like that. Um, another good player was Emmy Walsh. Mm-hmm. She also had nine points. And really, I think she helped them out because Hoquiam in the third quarter of this one basically said, we don't want Aaliyah to beat us. And so she was being triple teamed at times. And Emmy hit two big outside jumpers that I think kind of helped them out of that strategy. And it was a crucial point when Walsh had hit those two because she had she was not shy on taking shots. And she yeah. took a few jumpers, and I think she maybe missed her first three or four. Um, but she kept going. When it was open, when Hoquiam was packing the paint, she kept shooting. And she hit a hot streak. And I think she hit maybe three out of four during that stretch. Um, and we actually have a audio clip on that. Do you want me to play it? Yeah, sure. All right. They kick it out to Walsh, who answers with the long two. Walsh is not shy. She has taken open jumpers repeatedly, and that's three mid-range jumpers for her so far. In the- yeah, that was, uh, you, you remembered what you said, apparently. Yeah, yeah, she well, wasn't shy. I, I did listen to it right before. <laughs> yeah, but also we have a few clips, and maybe I just maybe it's for me. But I want to just play a couple of the, of the no, clips yeah, totally, some, definitely some highlights that that we cut up of of the girls' game. So here's one from an Aaliyah Tagent uh, bucket. They go into Tagent again, again swings it down low. Same move, same bucket. Aaliyah Tagent has been dominant. Lobs a pass down into Tagent, goes up, falling away. How does that go in? She was no falling idea. over backwards. No idea how she got that to go in. I think she thought she was going to get a foul and just chuck the ball up towards the basket. Okay, first off, uh, maybe I'll talk about this later, but that first one, mm-hmm. she, we had been seeing kind of the similar move from her most of the night of yep. like quickly going over. Or yes. We saw a drop step a couple times. That one she completely changed. Like, swept the ball down yep. low, passed to the defender, and then went up with it. And she did it two times in a row, and it was yeah. beautiful. She did, and it was that was the crazy thing. And that's part of the reason why I felt like, okay, these girls really know what they're doing. Because Aaliyah read the position of the defender. And in that instance, it was Maddie German who was guarding her. And German was like, hey, you want to do a drop step on me? You're not going baseline. Yeah. And Aaliyah was like, okay, I'll face you up. I'll rip the ball low, and I'll go up to the left side. It was- and she executed it perfectly two times in a row yeah it was really incredible and speaking of maddie german here's another audio clip from the game german brings it up across half court versus the press passes to bryden gets it back drives in from the left side and gets it to go oquim with another bucket nice little move there by german had the defender thinking right went around her to the left and got an easy layup yeah german played hard in that game she really did. She had, she had six points, which was second on the team in scoring. Taylor Strom led him with eight. German did lead them with eight rebounds, though. And in the second half, she scored all of her points in the second half, mm-hmm. and she really was trying to do anything she could to try and get him back in the game. I mean, not only from the standpoint of the game. Like, yeah, she was. She was hustling. She was everywhere. I mean, we talked about during the broadcast, she was doing everything. She yeah. was playing the post, she was playing the paint, she was bringing the ball down the floor, she was pushing in transition, she was a couple times getting in her teammates' faces to say, <laughs> hey, you need to match my intensity level, you yeah. know, trying to be a leader, um, and she obviously was, she wanted it, she wanted it bad, um, and maybe a few times pushed a little too hard, but in general, you just gotta respect the way that she played in that game and how hard she played. Absolutely, so that's the wrap-up of the girls' game as uh, Aberdeen gets the win, 56-33 to in that matchup. Now for the nightcap, 
and the boys game that turned into one of the best games I've ever covered. Mm -hmm. I've covered some triple overtime games. Two of those, two Hoquiam playoff games, went into triple overtime. This is the best Myrtle Street game I can remember. Yeah. And that's, I missed a couple when I was away at school. But other than that, I've had a pretty good look at the last 11 to 12 to, no, I was probably more like a, about 15 years worth. This is the best Myrtle Street game in probably 15 years. Mm -hmm. and, and it was good. It was awesome. And for me, too, it was like, you know, and I've seen a lot of different types of games than what you've seen. I've covered a lot of 2B, 1B. Um, I've been all over the place. And there was one big rivalry game that stands out to me that was a double overtime game between... Willapaw Valley and North Beach, Ooh. and that one ended on a buzzer beater, and I, it was Willapaw Valley that came out on top. Nice. I'm going to say, I could be wrong about this, I think the Willapaw Valley player was Koenigsberger, okay. and he was awesome. I, both, I believe he also was the league MVP, um, had something like 27 points in that game. It was really amazing, but this for me, because of not just the fact that it went into double overtime... But the way the periods were ending mm -hmm. and the fact yeah. that Hoquiam came back from 18 points in the fourth quarter is staggering. It's To play through three quarters where you're down by 18 points, just to score 18 points in a quarter is pretty good offensive output. Yeah. To outscore another team that's been pretty much controlling you for the whole game by 14 po or 18 points in the fourth quarter was shocking to me. It was insane. Like, it, we were... Watching this game where, I mean, the again, started off fairly normal. I mean, 20 to 13, that's not too much of something to pull out from as Aberdeen led 20 to 13 after the first quarter. Mm -hmm. And then after the second quarter, Hoquiam looked like they may have figured things out a bit. They actually outscored Aberdeen 14 to uh, 13 in the second quarter. And you mentioned the shots at the end of the quarter. Yep. Garrett Dick hit a jumper with about five seconds left to finish the half. And that was an exciting play, and it doesn't even come close to making the list. Mm -hmm. And then you get into the third quarter, and Aberdeen outscores Hoquiam 14-2 in the third quarter. Punctuated by this play by Wyatt Johnson. Kincaid with the ball, swings it to Johnson, wants the three, knocks Ooh. it down at the buzzer. What a shot by Wyatt to send him into the fourth. With an 18-point lead. Actually edited that a little bit because I thought that he had an and one off it. Do you remember that? Yeah. But to shorten the call. It looked it nice... that was not your fault. Yeah. The official made a really confusing hand signal. It, exactly. But <laughs> this, so they're down. Their best player is not able to score. Cameron Bumstead had four points on the game. He went scoreless in the third quarter. Mm -hmm. Things just weren't looking good. And that's why, like, normally when you see a high school double overtime game, the other team's, the winning team or one of the team's best players is usually going upwards of 20, 25, 30 points. Mm -hmm. But Cameron, bizarre night, bizarre first three quarters for him. During that third quarter, I remember multiple calls where we were just like, it just won't go in. Yeah. And it was free throws. It was jumpers. It was three-pointers. And then even to start the fourth quarter, he missed his first two free throws. Mm -hmm. And that's when we were all we were both like, okay, what is going on? He just can't make a shot. And then something changed, and 
it went from a 14 to 2 to all of a sudden here comes Hoquiam with a little 12 to 2 run. Right. And now it's a 14 to 2 run. Yep. Kicks it out to McMillan. Step back triple. Knocks it down. Oh, that was about 20 seconds of really solid man defense from Aberdeen, but a good job by Hoquiam of moving with the ball and moving the ball to get an opportunity for an open look from. Seems to be cutting him off a little it bit is. short it's here. Cutting him off about a second short. I'm not sure that that's probably something that I did uploading it, but uh, definitely your fault. Yeah, I'll take the blame <laughs> on that one. Whoever something, works at the radio station sure messed yeah. that up. Something that you mentioned though is, I think it might have been after that, but I can't remember what it was. But you were like, ah, but they're still down 16, 16 points. 16 yep. It's just gonna be really hard to come back from that. Uh, I said it would be hard for them to claw back from it, and I thought that was clever because <laughs> grizzly bears have claws. Uh, there you go. Oh. Yeah, oh, one of them smart yeah. things. But they did. There was a lot. Of, <laughs> there was a lot for Hoquiam that happened in the middle, including this play by Cameron Bumstead. Cameron wants a screen, comes off of it, drives into the lane, goes to the rack and gets it to go. What a bucket! But the clock's still rolling and. Alex Reyes picks up the foul with 16 seconds left. Well, that one played all the way through, so yes, that's nice. That's really <laughs> but that was 16 seconds left. And that was huge because what we saw from Bumstead on that one was his ability to get to the rack. Because, I mean, that's what I'm saying. This kid does everything. Like, he shot yeah. from the outside. He shot with great range. That play with him driving... And watching him, the way he used his body to shield the defender and get that shot up cleanly was incredibly impressive to me. It absolutely was. And that made it, what, a two-point game, I believe? And this is the other part of this game is the shifts in free-throw shooting. Mm -hmm. Because at the fourth quarter, Hoquiam almost went to a strategy of, it was like hack-a-shack, yep, but it was exactly. hack-anybody. And They did it early. It was about a minute left in the game when yeah, they did it, that. It was, I think Aberdeen went... Four for what did I say in the in the write up? It was like four for twelve or something like that. Four uh, for four for eleven. Four for eleven. Four for eleven in the fourth quarter, and Hoquiam just took advantage of it and mm -hmm. kept fouling. And so then they get the ball back, but there's times running down. Yep. And they're down by three. Back to McMillan. Step back three. Good. It's good. It's the buzzer! We're going to overtime! Dane McMillan with the step back triple! Oh, can you believe it? I'm getting goosebumps when oh, I listen to man, it. Oh, man, me too. And it cut it off short again. I don't know why some because of them are doing of that. The, it's because of the feeling. Uh, I didn't... I Honestly, <laughs> I was glad that you carried that 18 seconds. Because <laughs> I was dumbstruck. Like, standing there nuts. with my phone recording video of this. And I was like... Is this real life? Right. Did this actually happen? Because how many times have we seen in a high school game a team have a chance for a shot at the end, and how often does it go in? It almost never goes in. Exactly. And it was such, the degree of difficulty on that shot was through the roof. It was a step back. He was deep behind the line. We looked later at the video and realized Farrer was really close. Yeah, he almost he got, got a hand on it. He got a yeah. good contest on that shot. That was incredible by Dane McMillan. It was awesome. And it was a moonshot, too. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I didn't edit that at all. When, when the ball goes up, it was step back three. It's good. Yeah. Like, that's how it was a super high shot, which, in contrast, a lot different from 
the next one because, no, no, that can't be the only big-time shot in this game. No, there's right. much more to come as that sends them into overtime. And then in overtime, things kind of flip-flop a little bit. It, they did. You thought you would have thought Hoquiam would have all the momentum going in, but Aberdeen played this, like, for the most of the game, they were really steady. They didn't really have one guy who stepped up and did everything. They had kids who played inside really well. Um, I thought that, what was the, it's Jaden. Jaden Watson. Jaden Watson, I thought, on the inside played a fantastic game. Wyatt Johnson played a really good game as well. Um, Ethan Morrill gave him some really great minutes on defense before he fouled out towards the end. Yeah. There was so many different kids that contributed in a big way for Aberdeen that they just went back into this, okay, we don't have the momentum anymore. We're just going to keep playing our game. And they did that, and they were successful with it. Absolutely, and it was just it was fun to watch. And then they kind of got redemption from the free throw line because mm-hmm. in that first overtime, they went six for six. Right, and that was Jaden Watson, uh, Giovanni Pisani, and Wyatt Johnson combined six for six from the cherry yeah. strike. Yeah, and that was the only points they scored in overtime. Right. So they, they couldn't miss. Hoquim, on the other hand, they went one for four mm-hmm. in that first overtime period. But thanks to a jumper by Garrett Dick, who had a great game as well. Once he got to the elbow, it just felt like he was money from there. And then, uh, so they're down three points yet again with time running out. Garrett Dick with it. They go to Bumstead. Open corner three. He knocks it down. He knocks it down. Four seconds. Far drives. Gets it to Seibert. Seibert, one second to Far. Oh, in and out. In and out. Far almost had it for the winner. But we're going to double overtime. <laughs> oh, man. This is the best Myrtle Street game <laughs> I can remember. This game is bonkers. I don't have any other way to describe <laughs> I almost cut us off there, but you saying this game is bonkers, there wasn't much much better way to describe it. Earlier in the game, you described it as, uh, this game is crazy going on. I was flabbergasted <laughs> was by awesome. that. I, I couldn't... And Farr almost hit that, and that was not a good look. Like, no, that was, he was him catching balance. it, off balance, and trying to do one of those quick little chucks because yeah. time was running out as it left his fingers, and it almost went in. And if you want to see the highlight for that, I did make a little highlight video that has... Pretty much all these plays that we're talking about, if you go to our Facebook page, it's called The Scrimmage, uh, Grace Harbor Sports Radio. You can find that video, or you can go to our YouTube page of The Scrimmage. Yeah, absolutely. And it's uh, some of them are at a weird angle when yeah. it, because of where we're at in the press box. Yeah. And we had a packed It actually box, gave us a great view of Hoquiam's buzzer beaters, though. It did. We <laughs> it was right next to that hoop. But, I mean, so we go into double overtime, and you think that it just can't continue, right? It can't continue to be big shot after big shot. But that's when Aberdeen really stepped up. And this possession here, before I think before this shot, it, this is the next clip is, is Gio Pisani, right? Yes. And so this possession was to perfection. Mm-hmm. When you have the lead, they had a three-point lead late in the game, about 40 seconds left. Yeah. And they, Gio especially, but the team milked the clock all the way down. In an incredibly efficient way. Yes. Without any chance of a turnover. And and then Geo steps up to hit what I thought put the game away. 29 seconds left and a foul is open. No, they don't call it. Far drives in, swings it to Johnson. Back to Pisani. Up fake. Very deliberate. Working time off the clock. Now elbow jumper. Oh, dagger. Man. Gio Pisani with the dagger to make it a five point. 
Dagger. Dagger. I love. That's my favorite call. Yeah. You know, that's my favorite call. <laughs> you know, what's funny about that too, because you called that, and I've I've told Peyton about it. My thirteen year old son. Yeah. And we'll be watching a game, and he'll be like, "Dagger," and I'll say, "That's not a dagger. That's not a dagger." <laughs> and he'll be like, "What? What? It's not a dagger. What do you mean?" And I was like, "A dagger has to be a shot that puts the game away." And now, because my life goal is to antagonize my children as much as possible, <laughs> whenever we watch a game together, and he says it's a dagger, even if it is, I say that's not a dagger. Oh my. Gosh. And he's like, Dad, come on. If that's not a dagger, what's a dagger? <laughs> anyway. I thought this was a dagger. Yeah. And then instantly, I mean, instantly, Hoquim comes right back. Hoquim back. Step back three. Nope. They go to Bumstead for the deep triple. Knocks it down. Maybe the dagger was just pulled out by Cameron Bumstead because it's a two-point lead with six seconds left. How many miraculous shots do the Grizzlies have in them tonight? Because every time it looks like it's about to go down, they pull something out. Like the dagger, pulling it out of their yeah. chest. That's what it felt like, though. That's Pisani hits that, and I thought five-point lead with 10 seconds left, yeah. or 15, or whatever it was. There is, There's no chance anymore. And then it felt like the Grizzlies were brought back to life with that quick three. Because another thing, how many times do we see high school games where it's a two-possession game with about 15 seconds left, and the team on offense will come down, and they'll dribble about eight seconds of it off trying to find a good look? Mm -hmm. And this, Bumstead got the ball back in his hands and was like, yeah, I'm 30 feet away, but yeah. we need a bucket now. And I, I felt like the Aberdeen kids were like, fine, you want to be 30 feet away? Shoot the ball. Yeah. And he drills it. And he drills it. And just another big-time shot, as it just seemed like shot after shot. So then the Hoquiam fouls, and then there's six seconds left, because I think they put a couple seconds back on the clock after that one. And so that sends Wyatt Johnson to the free-throw line. I would have thrown up, and that's yeah. it. I mean, you know me. I was a terrible free-throw shooter. Yeah. <laughs> I Still didn't. are, a little bit. I think I said, before this next clip starts, I think I actually said... If I was at the free throw line, I'd throw up right yeah. now. Yeah, and I, we were talking about this, too, because watching the Grizzlies shoot free throws and the, and the Bobcats shoot free throws, I kept saying, I'm not sure what's harder, shooting these free throws from behind or ahead. And I think we agreed being ahead is harder because you know the you holding on to the game hinges on whether you can hit these. Absolutely. Wyatt Johnson, second free throw, gets it to go. Big time. Now all the Grizzlies can do is tie once again. Bumstead with five seconds. Bumstead down. Pull up three. Off the front rim. Off the front rim. Hoquiam falls one miracle short in a game where they pulled out so many. As Bumstead's pull up three at the end of double overtime is no good. And the Aberdeen Bobcats on the clutch dagger shot by Gio Pisani get the victory here in double overtime what a what a crazy game and i'm yeah. i hope i didn't sound sad there that the grizzlies lost cuz sometimes my grizzly does show a little bit mm -hmm. you make fun of me for it yeah no, really i, I was just it, sad that the game that. ended yeah it was such a magical game right 
And uh, there was another opportunity for Magic to have, and he got a pretty good look at that. That was exactly how you want to do it, too. Sprinting down the court, kind of a two-foot jump stop yeah. at the three-point line. It was line. hard, though, because he, had, he was going so fast Full speed to get down that there. he had to stop his momentum so quickly, yeah. and you can't. it's harder to get into the rhythm of a jump shot in your normal release when you do that. So it was a really difficult shot, but he did get a clean look. Yeah, so it, some highlight performers we mentioned I mean, Dane McMillan hit the buzzer beater at the end of the fourth. Cameron Bunstead, our athlete of the week. Uh, we mentioned Jaden Watson and Gio Pisani, but uh, some Wyatt Johnson finished with 15. He led Aberdeen in scoring. Pisani ended with 11. I thought Nick Farr played great yes, as he well. Um, he had eight points. Ethan Morrill, you mentioned, was excellent when, and maybe he wasn't part of why Cameron was struggling because, yeah. I mean, there's a defensive player. And he is super physical. Yeah, he, and he played really well as well, and he also had seven points. For Hoquiam, we mentioned Garrett Dick a little bit. He had 15 points, actually the second highest amount of points for them, and uh, Zach Elsos had nine points. So, I mean, there's there's heroes up and down the, the roster, mm-hmm. and it's so much fun to watch. And we actually... Uh, have a couple of we usually don't do post game interviews with like on the recorder. Yeah. But this, this was, was a such a fun situation. game that we just grabbed whoever we could. Like yeah. after we were done cleaning up, we were like, hey, let's talk to some players if there are some players still left around. So the first one was I caught up with uh, Garrett Dick, the senior for Hoquiam, who had 15 points on the night. So crazy game. Uh, you're going into the fourth quarter down 18. What are you guys talking about going into that quarter, and what's the messaging to try and get you guys back into that game? Uh, we were just never giving up. We just wanted to, as a, being a senior, my last time ever playing Aberdeen, the biggest rivalry game, I just wanted that dub really bad. So uh, just coming out, talking to all my teammates, trying to get them to play as hard as they could, and worked out pretty good. Now, you really seem to find your shot there. You started hot early, but then in the fourth quarter, too, big shot after big shot. Is there just something in a, in a rhythm or a feeling that you know that once you got to the elbow, it was going in? Yeah, I just that's like my favorite spot is just coming to the elbow, pulling up. So I had that going for me, so I just kept hitting it. And what can you say about some of your teammates, too? I mean, Cameron Bumstead started off slow, but then... It seemed like when the game got on the line, you guys still trusted him. Yeah, Cameron and Dane both hit two huge shots that I couldn't have done. So it's uh, awesome. I don't, yeah, that's really all I got to say. But also, it's so much fun to watch you out on the, on the rebounding glass, too. So it's so much fun to watch, and uh, good luck in the, in the future, man. Yep, thank can, can you tell I'm not used to yeah. doing post-game interviews like that? No, you did fine. <laughs> and he was, like you said, from the elbow, Dick was deadly. From the elbow. Yeah, he was. He was, I don't think he missed from the elbow. He hit maybe like yeah. four for four or something like yeah. that. He was crazy. Something he, like that. I, I felt like, and it wasn't even all just like set up jumpers or set shots. You know, a couple of them were on the move, like runners and stuff like that. He was like, from that spot, he was killer. Yeah, he had 10 points from the field and then five free throws. Mm-hmm. So maybe four of those were from the elbow, if not all five. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next one was able to catch up to uh, junior Dane McMillan, who hit the first game-tying end-of-regulation three-pointer. All right, Dane, coming into this game, coming into the fourth quarter, you guys are down 18. What are you guys feeling coming into that fourth quarter? What are you trying to tell each other to get yourselves back into that game? Uh, well, we had to keep our heads up, and we just had to keep going. We had to find the open man. And we just had to keep working. We had to play as a team to come back, and I think we did that. 
Now, you're a junior on this team, but two of your seniors in Garrett Dick and Cameron Bumstead played amazing down the stretch as well. What can you say about playing with them and, and how they kept their heads up as well in that last quarter? Yeah, they, they showed uh, great composure and, you know, they kept leading us even when we were down. You know, they told us to keep going and, yeah, they, they let us, yeah. End of the fourth quarter, time's running out. What were you guys thinking on that last possession? Were you expecting to have the ball in your hands with the clock running down? Uh, Coach Watkins said, you know, either you or Cameron, you, gotta, you guys got to come up with a three right here. So me and Cameron were playing with it a little bit, but then I got it and I looked at the clock and there was about five seconds. So I just reacted and just stepped back and went in. As one of the prettiest shots I've seen in a long time. Then you go into overtime and it seems like you're in the same situation. And Cameron, who really cold night for him in the first three quarters and yet you guys just continued to trust him and it paid off in the end yeah you know we told him to keep shooting keep shooting you know he's that guy and when he was opening the corner we you know, we already knew it was going in he was a good shooter all right man well thanks and good luck in the future thank you that was Dane McMillan, and uh, again, so far we've talked to two Grizzlies. I mean, it's a home game, so they kind of lingered around a little bit more. And then also, I think Bobcats most... Bobcats were slippery, though. Yeah, man. most of the Bobcats got on the bus pretty quickly, yeah. because the only one I was able to track down afterwards was our player of the game from the previous Myrtle Street rivalry, who thankfully I knew was a good interview, so I'm glad that it was Nick. Even but... though you asked him a question that made him angry. Yeah, I th the start of this makes it sound like he's angry with me, but Nick is just such an intense kid he, is, super he is so intense and I love it and he plays with that intensity too but this is Nick Farr on the the win for Aberdeen all right man that is one of the craziest games I have ever seen what is it like from a player's perspective when it seems like you guys had all the momentum going into that fourth quarter and then you just see it start to turn into a close game Hey, you know, no negativity, you know. I always tell my guys, two claps, next play. Whatever happens, it's in the past. And, you know, we really try to motivate each other and just keep pushing, you know. Two overtimes is tough, but when with your good teammates and they motivate each other, it's like it's just another half of basketball. And they really helped, we helped each other the best we could, and that's what really helped us out. And it's, you know, it worked, you know. We were able to come together, get the buckets we needed to. And for me, hit two free throws, which is nice, you know, when I needed to, but it was great. And what can you say about some of your teammates' big plays down the stretch? I mean, you hit those two free throws, but Pisani's free throws at the end. Jaden Watson comes up with some big plays again. And Wyatt Johnson getting him back as well. I mean, it just seemed like to weather that type of storm is so impressive for you guys to come back, gather yourselves, and get that win. Oh, for sure. It was, it was awesome having those guys back. And, you know, Ethan, you know, I fouled out early, but he gave us good minutes with his defense. He's one of a kind with how he plays as a guard. Uh, Gio, really reliable. You know, he's my brother, same with Ethan. Those guys, they, they know what they're doing, and I trust them with my life. And uh, Jaden, it's great having another big back so I can kind of play inside out. I can go wherever the coach needs me to. And, and he got stuff done, and it was really good to see, have him back on the court. Same with Wyatt. Wyatt, you know, he had some clutch plays there, and he had a little run, which was nice. And he is a leaper, and it's nice having some help on the boards. So when you look at this team and it seems like you guys, with everybody back, that you guys can build some momentum here. Do you feel like you can carry a win like this in a double overtime to any other close game you get into? Oh, for sure. You know, it's a great learning experience, you know. I, I mean, I can only count on my hand how many overtime games, much less two over, like double overtime. You know, and this is really going to help us down the stretch when it comes to league. And, you know, it was, it was a hard win and it was like 
not me personally, I feel like I could have done better, but you know, it's definitely some momentum we need to face Tom Water coming up. All right, man, good luck coming up. That was uh, Nick Farr angry with the Aberdeen Farr. He's not angry. No he's negativity. Just, he's just angry. Two claps and we move on. He is intense. I love it. He was fantastic. He was. And one of the clips I heard as I was trying to find different highlights throughout the game, Mm -hmm. it was an offensive rebound and a putback, I think. And you were like, whatever Nick Farr does, he does strong. Yeah. And that's true. That's how he plays. Absolutely. And actually, one of the big turning points in that game was there was some missed free throws Mm -hmm. when Aberdeen could have put it to a three-point game, and they didn't. And Nick grabbed an offensive rebound Got fouled. He made the two free throws, and I think that was right before Bumstead hit his end of regulation. Sounds right. Yeah, I mean, just so many different weird turning points in this game. There's also a time in regulation where there was a lane violation that gave Zach Elsos another free throw, and then they ended up going into overtime. Right. There was a technical foul opportunity when a kid who had fouled out for Hoquiam was re-entered back into the game, causing a technical foul for an illegal substitution. I mean, this game was just bizarre. It was a little bit. I forgot about the technical foul. That <laughs> yeah. was kind of crazy. And that lane violation thing, that was like, we, that happened. That exact same thing yes. in the girls' game and the boys' game. And it was Walsh in the girls' game. Yeah. And it wasn't a violation of the lane. It was the guard who was outside the three-point line can't be in front of the free-throw line yeah, on, around the arc. And I felt like they didn't know the rule. They, because when it happened, and I've never seen it called before. Neither have I. But when it happened, uh, Walsh was like, what did I do? Like, she put her hands up, like, oh, I didn't know I couldn't do that. And then the official kind of, like, motioned yeah. the line of the free throw line. Right. And it wasn't even like they were trying to sprint in. Was it, no, she just, was just standing they there. They just kind of wandered yeah. past, yeah. Uh, anyway, it was it was such a crazy game, and uh, so glad that the kids were, you know, nice enough to chat with me. Even the yeah, kids great. on they the losing side, job. like uh, Garrett and Dane, you know. That, Don't you think they come out of that game feeling a little bit like a winner? Yeah. I would. I mean, yeah. you're down 18. Yeah. I mean, not a winner, but you don't feel as bad as if you just let the blowout happen. I loved you know? when the game ended also and watching the yeah. two teams come together because it was all hugs and handshakes. Like, yes. these kids respected each other in a way that, like, when, when kids are pissed and you watch them go through a handshake line, you can tell. Oh, yeah. This was... Two groups of kids who, I don't know what their relationships are like outside of basketball, Yeah. but this was two groups of kids who fought in a game that was incredible, and they just went to each other and they respected each other, and yeah. I thought that was incredible, and I think it speaks to their integrity, and I think it speaks to the integrity of their coaches as well. Yeah, absolutely. It was, you're right, that was one of the best sights, too, because you've seen, we've all seen games where kids I've, are grumpy I'm going grumpy through. I'm grumpy after I lose. Yeah, but Anything. these, it was just like, they both Even just Monopoly. Kinda, <laughs> they just kind of realized what they had been through and how awesome it was yeah. and appreciated it with each other. I thought it was really cool. Agreed. All right. We um, also had a chance during halftime, I had a chance to talk to Ben DeBlanco, who's been one of our favorite players to cover in the past. And now he's playing at Grace Harbor College and was nice enough to come up to the booth and, and talk to us during during halftime and just kind of let us know what's going on now. How's life after high school? And a chance to talk to uh, one of our favorite players from this Myrtle Street rivalry, Ben DeBlanco. Hey, Ben, how's it going, man? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me on. We might get into some history, like the 
history you pretty much made last year in this game here at Hoquiam Square Garden. But first, uh, let us know what's going on now. How's uh, life after Aberdeen going for you? What are you doing and uh, what's going on? Uh, it's good. Um, I'm playing at Grace Harbor College right now. We start off the year 9-5 and five in our preseason games, and we get going again on Wednesday for our first home league game. And it's just exciting. You know, it's a different level. And that's for sure. It's been an interesting adjustment, to say the least. And it's just been a blessing, man. And I'm blessed to have this opportunity. And Aberdeen prepared me in a great way to move on. And I'm just so thankful for that. Uh, who are you guys taking on on Wednesday? Pierce. Pierce Community College. And where and do you guys play at the college's gym now? We okay. do. Okay. Yep. So what time is that so we can send people your way to see some more Grace Harbor College basketball? I believe 8 o'clock. Okay. Yeah. So what would you say – the biggest difference is between the high school level, the 2A level, and uh, the NWAC. Uh, the athleticism. Mm -hmm. uh, you have real size everywhere and real athleticism. And you're playing with guys who, you know, they were the best from where they come from. They're competitors. And, you know, just that athleticism is a huge jump. And uh, guys who are competitors, like not saying it's not competitors in high school, but you have a lot more guys that realize that this is their job. You know, uh, you're out there to do what you have to do to stay around. And uh, people are playing for something as opposed to you get to – it's your privilege to be on the team. This is more of a, all right, you know, we're getting out of you what you get from us. And so it's definitely a, a big adjustment, but it's been a, such a blessing to grow as a person and just continue to move on in the game I love. How different is it when you leave the high school program that you've played with and the guys that you've played with for so long and then it seems like you know when you're playing in high school and youth sports it's the same kids all the way up yeah. and you can grow that relationship and the way you and Javi played together almost became like a sixth sense for you guys how is it to then jump into a whole new group of people coming into a new team at first it's a big adjustment but as you spend a lot of time with guys and you take an effort to get to know how they play, what they like, and uh, really try and get to know them to the best of your ability. And you have a lot of high basketball IQs. So mixing all that, you know, it as, isn't as big of an adjustment as you think it is. But at first, there's definitely that growing. And, you know, there's some pains there. But, you know, it's, it's a blessing playing with a lot of guys who just really are competing and trying to do the best they can. All right, real quick before we let you go, last year the game here at Hoquiam Square Garden, was it 41? Uh, yeah. 41 points. What was your favorite memory from that game? Can you remember anything, or did you just completely black out? Um, <laughs> I remember coming down. I had a – I spot up for a three. I pump fake, go baseline, and I just kind of flipped something up there because <laughs> I got caught. I was trying to hit someone in the corner, and the passing lane got cut off. I just flip it up there, and it just went in. And that was the moment where it's like, all right, it's one of those nights, you know. <laughs> it was fun to watch, man. Hey, thanks for coming on and joining yeah. us, and uh, we'll you see so you much. down the road. Definitely. All right, that was Ben Blanco and uh, Justin. Were you? Do you? No, I don't think you were there. You weren't there when he had the 41 points last no, year at Hoquiam. Ah, ah, it was insane. I heard about it a lot. Yeah, well, <laughs> Ben there talking at the end about that shot that he just kind of flipped up when he got yeah. caught with no one to pass to and it goes in. That was pretty much his night, and he just started pulling up from everywhere. Mm -hmm. One of the best shooting performances I've seen live. It Such was Such a nice kid. It, so he is. respectful. Yeah. Reminds me a lot of when we talked to Joel when he was in <laughs> yes, high school. Absolutely. Just classic DeBlanco behavior. It's so true. <laughs>
All right, uh, moving on. Do we have any mailbag questions? We got a couple. I'm gonna start with uh, I'm gonna start with one that we got as a comment on YouTube. Okay, All right. so I would like to preface this by saying that as we've gone through the season, we talked about the Russell Wilson MVP debate a lot. Yes. There was a point where, although I feel like I don't know how often we expressed this over the air, we felt like Russell was still the MVP. But there was a point where it became inevitable that Jackson was going to win it. So not like we ever said, okay, he deserves it. Yeah. But we had decided, okay, well, there's no point in talking about this extensively every week because it's going to be Lamar Jackson. Yeah. That's so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read kinda this. Kind of what we came to. Exactly. So I'm going to read this comment. It says, I'm ex- and this comes from Dan on uh, YouTube. That's I'm extremely. <laughs> is it? Yes, it's it's the official scrimmage chopper pilot. Dan G. <laughs> yep. I had no idea. Are you serious? I had no yeah. idea. Okay, so this comes from Dan G, who is a random YouTube watcher. It says, "I'm extremely." I'm gonna read this now in his voice in my head. Okay. okay. So I'm extremely annoyed by the general acknowledgement in media of Russ being the standout and singular reason the Seahawks are winning while also everyone knowing Lamar is getting the MVP trophy. What can or should be changed in order to better connect the MVP trophy with the league's actual most valuable player in the future? And the key word there is valuable. So I think we can all agree that Russell is the most... And today, this week's game is a perfect example of why Russell is the most valuable player in the league because if you take Russell Wilson off the Seahawks they're 1 and 15. <laughs> Absolutely. They had they nine... could win a game. <laughs> they had 19 I mean, yards. They're the Redskins they... won games, the Bengals won a game, the no, Dolphins, Dolphins beat won. the Patriots. <laughs> Anything can happen. Yeah. They have Ryan Fitzmagic. That's we have Gino. Yeah, never mind. <laughs> no, it... well maybe if Russell wasn't the... around they'd bring Tebow in. The Seahawks had <laughs> Hey, then they definitely win one game. Then they'd win a game, maybe even a playoff yeah, we game. Yeah, we played the Steelers. Did you bring that up on purpose? No. Okay. Tebow's got a better playoff record than Lamar Jackson. Anyway, as we know. and not just a better playoff record, but a better playoff performance than Lamar Jackson. But I don't know in a week or so if that's going to still be true. Uh, yeah. So, so I guess the big question here is like, (laughs) are you guys okay with the current format of MVP? No, I am not. It is always like this. What should it be different? I, they should, the freaking sports writers, who, who votes on this? Is this, this is. I think it's a. Sports writers, right? Yeah, I believe so. You would think journalists would know the meaning of words. Would Mm. you? Most. Valuable. They work with words all the time. You're right. Maybe they're just like MVP. That doesn't even. It's not even words. It's just an acronym for nothing. Also, argue with each other about what the MVP is. Like, there's no criteria. If you're an MVP voter, you can literally vote MVP any way you want. Yeah, exactly. Bobby Wagner got an MVP vote. No, was it Bobby Wagner? Yeah, Yeah. got an MVP vote a couple years ago. Yeah. Which he was super valuable that year. That was a ridiculous year for him. I feel but, like you should be able to recognize the peop- the person that is making the largest contribution to his team or their team 
separately from the person who had the most insanely amazing performance this year. Like, to me, it's obvious that you should have an MVP, a most valuable player, and you should have a a man of the year or a, a performance of the year or outstanding, most outstanding, at, most outstanding, most outstanding. Player, yeah. yeah. Like it, it, you, I don't understand why the MVP award has to be awarded to the most outstanding athlete, which yeah. is what it is. I'm actually okay with it. Most outstanding offensive athlete. Basically. I'm okay with it. If that's what it was. I'm okay with... I like words meaning something. I'm okay with the way that it is because I view it as dumb. I, <laughs> if somebody wins an MVP, I don't care. I don't. It doesn't change the way that I view them as a player. If somebody wins three or four or five MVPs, that might change the way I view them as a player. But because, and this is true in the NBA as well, it's so much more about story than it is anything it is. else. Yeah, so, and you're mad about that because you feel like LeBron should have had more. He got right? hosed, but it changed. At least LeBron has some. But it Russell changes. Wilson never gets yeah. it. But it's so hard for someone to win, even if they're the best player in the league in the NFL or the NBA multiple years in a row, it's like almost impossible, unless you're LeBron, to win it <laughs> multiple years in a row, even if you are the most valuable player. Didn't Steve Nash win it multiple times in a row? I don't know. You expect me to just... Pull that out of where you pull wires from? I mean, I don't... You guys don't want to know where Daniel keeps his wires. I'm just saying, like, it, it... I don't think... I don't need the MVP to change because I don't care about it so much. Okay. I, I view it... I view it as a dumb thing, and it doesn't really change the way I view guys. Okay, I'm making a weird face because I just looked up Tim Tebow, like... Because he's still hung up is, about that. Is, yes. Why are you looking up Tim Tebow? We're not even talking about him anymore. Oh, well, we're, we're talking about MVP, so... Uh... There's nothing Sorry. relevant to talk about it, with Tim Tebow, and we talked about something that wasn't even relevant already. It, it was... Bear with me. Okay. I can make it relevant. Uh, no, if his bio picture... Do you remember him playing for the Eagles? The picture, he's wearing an Eagles jersey. I don't remember that. Are you sure it's not the Jets? Yeah, I can see an eagle on their shoulder well, pad. Well, there was that one game where the Look, Jets wore wings on their jerseys. Like, no, it's... <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> anyway, so you're not upset just because you don't care about awards? Not... Is that basically what you're saying? I think I think it's just because there's been so much proven history of the MVP award being given to the better story or the person with the biggest stats. that I feel like the meaning of it is lost, so I view it as dumb. So I don't, it, I don't feel like it needs to change. I just perceive it differently. Okay. Well, wouldn't you agree with the statement then that something should be done to make it not dumb? I don't know what you do, though, because... That's, but that's what we're asking. We're just going to start, about. instead of giving away one award for the best player, let's give out consolation awards for people who are also good. Like, either either have a thing. The NFL needs I mean, to either say, We have okay, a defensive player of the year, and we have the an NFL, offensive player of the year. But the NFL needs to either say, okay, writers, this is your criteria for MVP, and have a rule, or they get to interpret it however they want. And then it's our job to just view it as whether it's stupid or whether it's valid. I get that. So what? It's so funny to me that it's interpreted. What, what the heck criteria? do you think valuable it's, means? It's all interpretable. Inter- interpretable. So you don't believe in word definitions? <laughs> I'm really bad at wording right now. Yeah, I can tell. <laughs> you don't believe in word definitions? I don't even know the word interpretable. <laughs> That's the hard part for me. Like, 
If you want to give it to the best player, give it to the best player, then call it the best player okay, award, but, not well, the most valuable player award. But the most... argument I see Lamar is Jackson that... had 11 other pro bowlers on his team. Because Daniel. they're only great because he was great. The, the <laughs> argument that I see is that you could say that by awarding it to someone like Lamar Jackson, whoever has the most outstanding performance, it is most valuable total contribution not percentage of contribution to their team, but just the total contribution. I've actually heard because guys argue league MVP is most valuable player to the league. Right, something like that. Like So that's the argument I see for the way they they do it now. I just would rather see... I think see, that's dumb, but I've heard I, it argued. Yeah, I, yeah. that's the... Uh, yes. Sounds like something Colin Cowherd would say. It does. <laughs> but he actually thinks Russell's yeah, the MVP. And so does Pro Football Focus. That's who he vo- they voted for Russell Wilson to be the first team all pro because they said the level of difficulty was harder for him, which is absolutely correct. Yep. Yeah. But suck it, Lamar Jackson. I don't know. <laughs> uh, just if you want some fun facts. In Tim Tebow's two playoff <laughs> games. Tim Tebow, what is it? Listen to this. In his two playoff games. Speaking he, of the MVP award. He had a QBR of 84 and a rating of 90. In Lamar Jackson's one playoff game, he had a QBR of 10. Yeah, ah. Lamar Jackson's one playoff and, game, game was and set Or 11.4 and a rating of 78. Lamar Jackson's one Tim Tebow should have gotten a second year, folks. That's all I'm saying. No. I will die on this mountain. He's in the intro for a reason. Reason. Anyway, I thought you'd want to know some fun Tim Tebow facts there. And we how didn't. He's a better playoff quarterback than Lamar Jackson. Yeah. And yet, Jackson was made the focal point of the offense the next year, and Tebow was cut never to give, be given another shot. Since we're in the, to- the topic of things you want to pound the table for, would you like to talk about your also, favorite Steve- Seahawks wide receiver? Yes. <laughs> uh, you're trying to bring it back to yeah. this season? Probably a good idea. Steve, <laughs> Steve Nash, also back-to-back MVP award winner. Steve Nash is your favorite Seahawks receiver? Uh, yeah. Uh, LeBron James <laughs> has done it twice. I know, he's um, LeBron. Steph Curry has done it once. LeBron. Uh, Tim Duncan, back-to-back MVPs. Did say LeBron? LeBron. Oh, LeBron. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson. Those Larry Bird won it three years in a row. Whew. I mean, that's a grit. The The list of guys who did it two years in a row is pretty <laughs> staggering. Yeah. Those guys are amazing. Pretty nuts. Anyway, John Ursua <laughs> should have been on the field more in this game. And just but... in case you don't know, because nobody knows who that is. Hey, John everybody Ursua... knows now after his catch last week. <laughs> They should, even though they thought he was Tyler Lockett. He does have a 100% catch rate on targets and an 11 yards per catch average. Exactly. And he, gets first, 11 yards. and he gets first downs every time. Every time. On fourth down. Yeah. But I thought, I was really hoping he'd get targeted more, especially since they only had four active receivers since both Malik Turner and Jerome Brown were out. So I was really excited about this game, and I saw him come out into the field for one, maybe two plays early, and I was like, yeah, it's going to happen. He'll get his shot. They never went back to the four wide receiver set, and they threw it to Hollister a bunch, and so I was well, really bummed out. why would out. you spread it out and try to run an explosive offense when you have the lead? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's just crazy talk, Daniel. Yeah, That's sorry. when you go into no, ultra-conservative. We were, don't waste were... first downs on leads. <laughs> they were busy running the ball for 15 carries for two yards. <laughs> so that was a little bit of a bummer. My guy John Ursua still not getting the 
the love I want him to get, but... Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I sabotaged. Do we have more mailbag questions? Is we that what a- we're doing? <laughs> I totally sabotaged this poor, with, with Tebow talk. We there. have a couple. We have a couple. Do you want to skip it? Oh, is there a show sheet? No. You want to skip show the other sheet. ones? You want to skip the other ones? You want to do one? Uh, what do you think? Let's do the last one. Okay. Is it okay for adult fans to wear sports jerseys? No. Is it okay to have a customized jersey with your name on it? There, this is a polarizing topic. All right. What's polarizing about it? Because Some... I think, obviously, it's okay for you to wear a sports jersey. Yeah. Tyler Lockett, one of my favorite players. I want to wear a Tyler Lockett jersey. Yeah. Some people believe that adults shouldn't wear jerseys, and it's kind of ungrown up Okay. I've also heard people say... Are these say... the same people who think that adults shouldn't wear baseball caps? I don't know. Is that a thing? Should I not be wearing it? Wearing it backwards is disrespectful. Oh, you know what I like to do? Because our our good buddy Steve, okay, Bovi, yeah, hates flat brim caps. Oh, and I can see hate, that. And I'm like, and he hates uh, also when people turn their caps crooked. So whenever I know that I'm going to be around him, I will wear a flat bill cap and turn it crooked. That and he out. will literally grab my hat and straighten it. Yeah, but. I've also heard people say that you shouldn't have a customized jersey with your name on it. That one, I'm not sure where okay. I sit on this one because I don't think so. Because if you're wearing, if you're wearing your team's jersey, wouldn't you want to wear the jersey of like your favorite player? Especially if you're some hobo like me who I never played in the NFL. I'm not going to get an NFL jersey with my name and somebody else's random number on it, like. I don't know. It's, that seems weird to put your own name on it because you never played for him. So why not have the jersey of somebody who actually did play for him? The thing is, I want to I, I want to say this before I come out with my opinion because I feel like, uh, especially when we're talking about fandom of professional teams, there's no as long as you're being respectful of other people, there's no wrong way to like whatever. So. So all of this There's is, no wrong way So to when whatever. I say it's not okay, <laughs> I mean I would feel weird doing it. Okay. That's true. It's I think I I the idea of putting my name on the back of a jersey of a team I don't play for is weird to me. Yeah. I will or didn't play for cuz I'll wear some of my old right, jerseys. I was going to say that's yeah. As we've mentioned, I go glory Once a days coog, all the always time. a coog. Yeah. Uh, but so <laughs> So for me, it's weird. I think it's kind of weird. If that makes you happy, I'm not gonna call you names. Yeah. Or 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 like I don't I don't think you're you're terrible. But it but the it's weird to me. Uh, you're being way too logical about this. We're supposed to have a spicy debate that people want to listen. On the to. other hand, it's also not very grown <laughs> up to go nuts about a sporting game. So if people want to be grown up, they can get out. <laughs> Well, there's no wrong way to whatever, you know? I mean, that's all I have to say about that. I, I think that... Uh, now, I have a twist to this go question. Go twist it. Because I have stronger opinions about what this. What if it was a Tebow jersey? <laughs> uh, if it if, was a Tebow jersey, Daniel would ask his wife to wear it. Hey! <laughs> hey! That got way too personal. That crossed a line, sir. 
Don't talk about my sister like that. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. I actually debated uh, in my head. Over whether I was going to say that out loud. So, no, the, the other thing that I have stronger opinions about, you go to a sporting event, there's two teams playing. Do you wear a jersey of a team that is neither of those teams? You do if you're in London. Well, yeah. Why? Actually, that makes sense. Because why, why you're an what, NFL why? fan. Why does that make sense? Because at that point, you're an NFL fan. Okay, well, so you you're, took it. You're going to the game because this. it's an NFL game. You okay. don't really care who's playing. It's true. You're just super excited to see so American you, football. Then it's okay. Yeah, you're right. Because you, some, you could also be transplanted there, and you don't get to watch your team play, but you still want to rep your team. Yes, you are absolutely correct. Correct. If you, you do, if you're in London, yeah. What if you're at a game in Seattle? Then and you're watching the Seahawks play the Packers, and you show up in a Steelers jersey. Yeah, then no, get you're out. You're the worst. <laughs> <laughs> if you do that, any person who ever wears a Steelers jersey is the worst. Just anyone. Yeah, I actually, I, I, I think, I think, uh, I kind of dig wearing other teams. From the same city's jerseys. Like, if you're going to go to a, a Seahawks game and you don't have a Seahawks jersey, but you're going to wear, wear like a Huskies your, or a Cougars. Or Huskies or I think Cougars that makes you look dumb. Or like, you didn't Mariners, know what sporting Mariners, event you were going to. Or the one I was trying to think of was the soccer team. This, the x Sounders. Sounders. The Seattle uh, Sounders jersey. Yes. Like, that, Xbox I like that. Like, that's, that makes, that doesn't bother me at all. Because you're still expensive. Seriously. And, that's true. And I'm not going to diss somebody for repping a hometown team in the, their hometown. Like, you know who... Somebody's wearing a Cougar jersey to save, or to Safeco Field, you know they're a Mariners fan. Yeah, you know? that's a good point. Um, so I I don't... I don't mind that. Wait, that are, checks out. Are they still the Xbox 360s? Wouldn't they be know. the Xbox I think they're the now? X-Bones. Oh, you're right. They're the X-Bones. Wow. I totally forgot that there was an Xbox One. Well, I think I've had an Xbox One for like two years now. I've had a PS4 for, since I've been married, but I forgot that Xbox had one after 360. Can we be friends? You have an can't. Xbox and I have a PlayStation. You no, know, we can't. Also, right, I feel like honey, the weird the thing about Andrew, sports... You can get out. Yeah, I'll leave soon. <laughs> the weird thing about sports jerseys is I have... And I'm in a different point of my life than you guys because I have children and children constantly make me feel older and older and older all the time. Well, children age you exponentially. Yeah. Also, so also time does. You're like mid thirties, <laughs> but you're actually like 65 now because you have three kids. Basically. So there was a point. <laughs> that checks out. And in the interest of full disclosure, I have a Russell Wilson jersey. I have a Cam Chancellor jersey. I have a <clears throat> jersey. And oh, I have jerseys <clears throat> too. You have a Vince Young jersey? No. <laughs> I have a Dang race. it! I, I, got you, I got you to say it. Though. How did I not throw it away like five years ago? It's still hanging in my closet. There was a point in my life when I started to feel internal pressure like I was being judged for wearing a sports jersey. Dude, you used to wear jerseys. All the That was time. all you wore. It was my jam. Except for that one t-shirt, which then you gave to me. Yeah. Because he was like, it looked kind of jersey. So. It looked kind of like a sports jersey, though, but it cool wasn't. Shirt. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I guess there was a point, like, I, there's been times where I was getting ready for church, and I went into my closet, and I opened it up, and I look at my Russell Wilson jersey, and I'm like, it's a game day. No, I can't do it. I can't do it. And I'll grab something different to wear. Because yeah. I feel like no one has ever said anything to me before. Yeah. But there's, like, this internal pressure that's like, if I wear this, I'm less of a grown-up. <laughs> I had that thought today, and then I 
threw my Tyler Lockett jersey on because yeah. Tyler's awesome. Have you noticed I haven't worn a jersey for any of the recordings? I have. Yeah. You weirdo. Yeah. We're going to start peer pressuring you into wearing jerseys. Yeah, Next week, jersey? I'll wear my Vince Young jersey. Yes. Oh, please. Yeah. Well, I wear my <laughs> jersey. Which one's that? I'm not going to say. You can tune in next week to find out what jersey I'm talking about. I just might wear it. Okay. Anyway. That it? That Are it. We good? Wait. Uh, well, I... oh. do you want to talk about the new website? Yes. Do you want to talk about Kinda, the new website? I don't know. All right. Boring. Daniel's sister, Jewel, has designed yes. a new website for us. It's dope. It's uh, at the same place as the old website. It's www thescrimmage.net and uh, check it out. All of our shows will be posted there. Uh, some of our YouTube videos will be posted there. I actually just posted the highlights for the Myrtle Street game no, that you guys were... That's why you were trying to distract were, me while I was talking. Uh, talking about... No, it was uh, while Daniel was talking, Justin. Why? Uh, oh. Anyway, so uh, you, that's uh, that's where you can find, find stuff about us. www.thescrimmage.net Sweet, and it's it's pretty cool. It's it's a lot prettier than our old one, which we just kind of threw together as quick as possible. And uh, my sister spent some time on this, and it was my Christmas present this year, so I really like it. And it's pretty now, dope. Does it populate YouTube and Instagram and all those things by itself, or is that something that you're going to have to go in and do? It seems like a good topic for the post show. Sorry. <laughs> That's, a, <laughs> That's a good point. I'm sure all you guys don't care about that at all. So, for my co-host, Justin, I was on this guy so hard, Domashevitz. <laughs> and my co-host, Daniel, I can make Tim Tebow relevant, Hargrove. <laughs> hey, you changed that. And our producer, Andrew, there's no wrong way to whatever, gross. And if people want to be grown up, they can get out. <laughs> you can get out, He too. has strong opinions on this. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the scrimmage.